On this episode of The Badge and Beyond, we may be discussing domestic violence, mental health issues, suicide and self-harm. If you would like support and someone to talk to, the right avenues in your local area would be appreciated for you to have a look at those options. Um, please make use of avenues such as Lifeline on 13 11 14. Um, and also for Domestic Violence Hotline, 1-800-RESPECT. So if you are and listening, discretion is advised. Welcome, everybody, to The Badge and Beyond. This is Danny and Anthony. That's and a good start. We remembered our we names. We remembered our names. We're, yep. we're done. So today we're going to speak about young offenders. A um, bit, bit topical. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is you and I have both had a fair bit of experience in this, in this space. Not as young offenders, I might add. No, <laughs> but definitely working with young offenders um, in, dif- in different spheres. So I'd like to hear your views um, in terms of young offenders, the age of Dolly Incapax, what that is. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, look, the, the current talk is obviously, and, and look, let's start by saying that we got asked to discuss this, and I think it's kind of topical and important that people understand the process from the law enforcement side. Yeah. Um, the thing to remember is that we're not just out, or police aren't, just out grabbing kids and throwing them into prison, that just doesn't happen. Um, And and probably should more often than it does, if we're being honest. Um, So we've got to understand the process first. There's a lot of people that don't understand how the Young Offenders Act works and and how people are brought into, uh, how young offenders are are put before the court. So first of all, we've got to talk about a thing called Dolly Incapax, which is effectively saying that between the ages of 10 and 14, well, let me start by saying, first of all, that under the age of 10, uh, you're below the age of criminal responsibility. And this is New South Wales, This right? is New South Wales. Yeah. So it might be slightly different in, in other jurisdictions, yeah. Yeah. but it's going to be relatively the same, I think. Um, but in New South Wales, under the age of 10, you can't be criminally charged because the law regards the mind of a child to be unable to determine that what they're doing is criminally wrong or seriously wrong, knowing that it had greater implications than just being a bit naughty, if that makes sense. Mm. Now, between 10 and 14, they can commit criminal acts, but it is, the onus is on police uh, or the prosecuting body to prove that they knew what they did was a criminal offence. And then once you do that, or when they've committed criminal acts, there's a number of hoops that police jump through. So. The options available when you're prosecuting a child for an offence um, would be things like uh, what they call a warning. Yep. So uh, very, very casual, kind of you see someone doing something wrong on the street, like a summary kind of offence, and you just give them a warning there and then. Uh, it could be a caution, um, and usually there's three or four cautions that children have to go through first, where they sit down with police, get bored in the police station with a member of their family or something, or a... Um, a guardian and they get spoken to about what they've done um, and how it was criminally wrong and how important it is to um, not break the law and their social responsibilities and the impacts on different people. And then there is a conference after that um, at another stage. So a conference can be for a separate offence where they you'll have the victim come in, you might have um, the police there, you have guardians there, you might have members of the school and whatnot. There's, There's different formats it can take. 
but that's really talking to that young offender about the acts they've committed and why it, the, the wider impacts and helping them understand that. So between that age of 10 and 14, Dolly Incapax is basically saying, uh, we've got to prove that the child knew what they were doing was criminally wrong. And part of that proof is often, hey, they've been warned, they've had multiple uh, cautions, they've had a conference, etc., And then they get charged and put before the court for, um, you know, the, the youth courts. However, the magistrate in the children's court can still say, you know what, they need to go back and get a conference or they need to go back and have a caution, which yep. is predominantly one of the main things they... They instigate. Well, they're always looking for an alternative to the court system. That's right. An alternative to imprisoning a yeah. child. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then only at the very highest end do you see children being put into uh, juvenile detention centres here in New South Wales. And even then, the juvenile detention centre, while it is a correctional facility, um, isn't run by New South Wales Corrective Services, um, has a bunch of different policies, protocols and standards. Um, and in all honesty, a lot of the people I saw that were in there weren't really complaining. They had access to, like, you know, PlayStation and things like that. Um, some of them were actually found safer than being at home. Um, and, you know, it's, it's daunting and it's not nice, but it's, mm. uh, it, for some of them, it's almost a better option than being on the street. So when someone said, when you see different media outlets or different political organisations saying, oh, you know, they've just thrown a kid in jail. No, that in, in New South Wales, at least, children aren't just getting grabbed off the street and locked up for vandalism and things like that. There's, there's a series of hoops that police jump through. Mm. And I think, you know, you raise a good point in terms of, uh, you know, the context of what juvenile detention looks like. Um, and it is a sad reality that um, for some of these kids... Uh, they are kind of more protected if they are even incarcerated in that facility because of how dangerous mm. the home situation is or life on the street might be or depending on what, what's happening for that child at that time. And I think that's the, the spirit of the legislation around the Young Offenders Act was so that there's, it's more about rehabilitative, mm. more about preventative, um, more an intervention strategy as opposed to uh, a punishment, yes. you know, punitive kind of, kind of measures. And if we look at the kind of uh, some offences... Um, you actually can't go that pathway. You, you will you will skip and go and that's right. You'll go yep. through the normal sort of adult court process if there's serious offences, um, and especially if, also in terms of domestic violence, mm -hmm. you you will skip warnings and and, and cautions um, in that space. Um, I, when I spent a number of years looking after the youth liaison officers, the school liaison police, um, and I was uh, quality reviewing um, youth-related events. Mm -hmm. In that space, and then I'd go out to the schools and, and, and um, you know do different talks and different interventions, and it really is based on context because mm. there are you know some young offenders were I don't know if I can call them the spawn of evil, but mm. there, there were some really significant, very serious criminals here that did that harmed a lot of people, um, did very serious adult crimes. Yeah. But then you also had a significant cohort were a victim of their life. Like yeah. Their parents um, weren't really parents um, and they were living in really disturbing circumstances and they were psychologically affected by the way mm -hmm. they were raised and doing different things. I, mean, I, I remember a particular call I got from 
um, the docks are down. So we, where we were, the, you know, the, the cells were downstairs in the station. And the custody officer called me because I needed because I had a young young offender brought in, and I needed to come and sort of um, yeah. review the the report before they could, you know, continue with the charging process. And I'd come downstairs and seen this young young girl at the time. I think she she would have been she was over the age of Dolly Inkipak. I think she was like 15, 14, along those lines. But she'd been done shoplifting. Mm. So I'm you know I'm walking th- lo- looking through the the report. And I see her sitting there. I recognise her. I've seen her before on the streets. Um, and I've known of her for a few years. And I know her, the backstory um, because I was involved in the backstory of charging her other family members mm. who, who basically attacked her with baseball bats and yep. broke her legs, right? Domestic, serious domestic violence. And because she'd given evidence in court against her yep. own family members, they threw her out, Yep. right? No one cares that they, these her so-called brother and at the at the order of their dad broke her legs yeah right um so she had nowhere to stay so she ended up living with like with an uncle or something like that but she found herself quite homeless most of the times and when i asked the uh the you know the officer in charge what did she steal she'd stolen um a couple of some undergarments for her size um bread and nutella and I'm like, we've got to look beyond this, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, I had a chat to that officer, and I'm like, all right, what, what does this tell you? Mm. Uh, what is she actually stealing? This is not stealing to sell on the black market or do whatever. This is yeah. for her to eat and to wear. She, wasn't, she didn't steal designer stuff, right? Mm. Um, and it was like, we need to sort of try to, try to stop this, this and, cycle. And that was as simple as just saying, okay, take her out, warning and help connecting her with a service That's right. so she could get those exactly things. Exactly right. Rather than going straight to charge. Yeah, you know? yep. exactly. And, that, and that's sort of the thing where you can see where the young offenders that comes to play. Yeah. Because it gives you that discretion. Mm. It's not the kind of thing you could do, say, with an adult. Yeah. You know, you catch yeah. an adult shoplifting. Again, it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed trying to work around the legislation mm-hmm. that you've got. Where here are you, and, and rightly so, th- th- there should be an opportunity to, to intervene. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think, look, the society as a whole needs a way to deal and manage with juveniles that are offending. And you need to understand that, look, psychopaths were young ones too, right? There yeah. are just some people yeah. in this world that are bad. Yep. Um, unspeakable evil walks among us at times. And I'm not saying that is the greater percentage of people, but I'm saying there is an element and you need to be able to deal with that. And so we need to have both the opportunity to pull children out of um, a pathway they're on and help you know, change their life and enrich their life and make them better, better members of the community. We also need to have a, a way to keep the community safe. And so my point of view is I personally think that the system's pretty good. Um, should there be more, could, could it do with more funding? Yes. Could uh, the agencies have more resources and you know, should there be a little bit more focus on parenting and things like that at times? Yes, 100%. Should we increase the age of criminal responsibility? I don't think so. I think in the digital age that we're in, 
my personal opinion is that, look, children have more access to information than they've ever had, uh, more access to outside role models, whether they're right or wrong, with all the influences and the people around them and um, different organisations trying to you know, capture children before they fall through the cracks. However, um, look, we've got, I think we've got a fairly good balance with the conferencing and the cautions and everything else. But I know you've seen it, I know I've seen it, where there are just some really bad kids. And that offending starts so early. I've seen it start before 10 years old. Yeah. Um, and look, the they become a permanent harassing factor for the community. And as a police force, you need to be able to do something. You need to have an alternative to, to work with them. Now, I'm a big proponent that there's a lot of factors that go into juvenile delinquency. Uh, any of the forensic psychology or criminology work will point out that, look, um, people from disadvantaged homes, people with um, single parents, um, people from uh, that lack education, that are in high crime environments, um, people with disability, learning disabilities and things like that, all these factors come together um, and create a, a sphere where it's much more likely that someone's going to offend. But there's also protective factors in that that we can implement and help to prevent these kids going down that path. But once they've gone down that path to a certain point, there's still got to be uh, an element where, hey, they've got to be put before the courts and they've got to be put in jail when they've committed wrong things, uh, wrong acts. And as part of that, that will hopefully help to rehabilitate them and give them access to those things to get them on the right path. And I think that might be the point we're missing uh, in that broader context of, hey, you know, young offenders, you know, and the age of criminal responsibility should be increased. Now, I think sometimes putting them before the courts is the best way to get them on the right path to help them be a better, better member of the community. I think the other issue is, like, what is age? Right? Yeah. And it's, it's a, we're getting to the point where um, we really need to meet someone on their cognitive ability as yes. well, right? So, and you've seen that with the adults that have the mm -hmm. cognitive ability of a six-year-old, yep. right? Um, you would not treat them the same way. Um, so I don't... Yeah, the argument for raising the age of criminal responsibility to me is flawed in that aspect that it should be based on what the person can actually right. comprehend um, because otherwise it, it's inconsequential regardless yep. of if you know, it becomes 12 or it's 11. Um, where we see, and even recently now, I've had the opportunity to to consult on um, some work in the juvenile justice system on people that have that like young people that proceed through with bowel conditions or AVOs, and in interviewing these um, these young people, hearing their side of what they understand their conditions to be mm. and what they can't do and what they can do, and you really start to see it's not easy. It really isn't easy to navigate this pathway, yeah. especially if you don't have money. This episode of the Badge and Beyond podcast is brought to you through the sponsorship of IC Technology. You can find them on ictechnology.com.au for all things IT and cyber. And Precision Integrity Services, who you can find at privateinvestigatorsydney.com.au. Yes. All right, so, and which, again, you know, it's one of the... One of one the, of the big, yeah, big factors. One of the factors, yeah. so... And you'll find there's an overrepresentation in young people of people with 
mm-hmm. uh, mental health issues, mm-hmm. um, and also you know uh, you know learning disabilities, behavioural issues, addiction. Exactly. So then you've got all this, mm-hmm. which is why you have that cohort in the in the um, juvenile justice system, which means you also can't have just broad brush no. policies that are going to work um, in each individual case, and then just in hearing how a child understands conditions like one of the children I interviewed like who's explained to me like they had their bail papers and I'm like explain to me what your bail conditions mean um, and they said you know we had a non-association clause I can't hang out with one two three four people and I'm like okay uh, who explained this to you the first time? And he goes, oh, it was the police. He goes, but I don't remember it. When the police were explaining it to me, like, and it was the first time he'd ever been in custody. Mm-hmm. So it's probably the most traumatic event this child ever had. And we're explaining legal jargon kind of thing to them. And they, who was who was with you? And it was some uncle or whatever. How often do you see that uncle? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's just, and, and how much understanding does that uncle have 100%, of the law? Hundred percent. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, some, you know, you you can go to court, um, sometimes within a couple of weeks. Sometimes it's mm. months and months down the track. Mm, mm. And then as your conditions roll over, mate, that's you're not going to be thinking, ah, oh, especially if this a co-offender messages you, yeah. and the instinct is just to reply, bang, you've breached your your AVO or yep. your bail, or you know, there's all these other things that c- that come into place. And I think what what I saw with um, in the police when we were in the youth sort of area with the specialist um, sort of tra- specialist officer training for youth and looking and when you had to know the Young Offenders Act, mm. a lot of it was tick and flick. Yeah. Right. Uh, has it does it satisfy this offence? Yep. 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 Did you give a caution? Yep. That's caution number two. One more to go. For example. Yeah. Uh, what I liked about the conferences is that there's victim impact. Mm, mm. And the, the young person gets to see from the other side. And sometimes you see that aha moment in that little mm. circle, right? Yeah. Sometimes you see nothing and it's terrible. There's no remorse, no nothing. True. And they're, they're at each other. The hatred's still there and all this stuff's happening. But sometimes there is. And even in like with the indigenous population, with the Kuru mm. courts and different things, you also see the, the elders in the community coming in and sort of taking stock and let's understand the impact of what you have done here to someone else. And I think it's kind of a lot about that as well. But we also got to understand with the serious crims, mate, they're, they're recruited for, because of their age. Yes, yeah. You know? Um, you know, I know that this, if I can get him to be my runner, on here, they, they can deal the drugs, they can do whatever, mm. they're going to come off with not so serious offences. That's right. And people are looking for kids of that age and they groom them for that purpose. Yep. So there's a lot of things that the wider community doesn't see that's being used in the young mm. offender space, and you have to have that understanding to know how to tackle it. And, and I think you raise a really good point there, and what I was thinking about is I was thinking about the number of times I've worked in custody, and you, you have a child come in, and you know you call mum and dad, yeah. they don't come, they're not yeah. answering. Yeah. Uh, you end up getting someone from like the Salvos to come in, and they've never met this child. Yeah. Um, they don't have any legal training, and you're trying to explain it to the child, you're trying to explain it to the the person from the salvos and you, yeah, there, there are safeguards in place don't think that when the children go into jail like into, into the police complex like oftentimes they're, if they're in a dock where we keep criminals the doors left open for them and you know depending on um, the risk factor like sometimes they're out in a room out the front like an interview room just with a police officer sitting with them so they're not actually in the custody area but there are some of those safeguards and you've got to have an adult with them but 
sometimes you can't find an adult. You know, when it's three in the morning and you got they're from a broken family mm. and mum and dad aren't any better off, and you're calling like you say an uncle, and and sometimes you know the whole family's illiterate. Yeah. How do they know what you're talking about? You know, um, and there's like you know juvenile legal service, but of course they close at a certain point in time. Um, they don't just have solicitors that can come out and. But then help. you got the challenge. You got to admit the offence. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you know, imagine you're in a situation where you normally a lawyer would tell you be quiet, mm-hmm. right? Don't say anything. Yet here, if they admit the offence, it opens up these alternatives. Yeah. If they don't, we're going to court. That's right. And, and that's one of the hard things is trying to the some of these kids from these homes where there's a significant criminal element have been told you never talk to the yeah. cops, and you're like, yeah, but I can get you get you out here, right? Like you can be doing yourself a disservice by not talking to us. And I remember kind of having that conversation where you speak to juvenile legal aid and you're like, just so you know, this is kind of like their, their second caution they're coming up for. It's not a big thing. Um, you know, they've been quite cooperative. Yep. Um, but they haven't admitted the offence, so maybe if you talk to your client, I can op- we can go down that path. Oh, okay, let me let me talk. And then the, yeah. the kids are like, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do that. Uh, they're good to speak to when it's mm. juvenile legal aid, but sometimes you're speaking with private solicitors, oh, and it's yeah. a bit different. Some Look, some are fantastic, and others will be like, you yeah, know, he's saying nothing. And I'm, I'm like, dude. Yeah, you're forcing my hand. On CCTV, he's got the bottle, he's thrown it through the window. Yes. Right? It's him. Mm. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, clean skin, mm. first offence, yep. he'll, he'll get his caution. No. No. And then it goes to the court and the magistrate's like, why didn't it go to juvenile? Well, he didn't admit the offence. Yeah. And then he just send it back. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and, and look, I, I think the frustration for the community is they're seeing these gangs of young kids yeah. getting around, getting locked up. And the frustration for police as well is you lock them up, you put them before the courts, they come out the very next day, same day most of the time. Yeah. Um, and they're doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, I think about we had one particular... When I, when I first started in the cops, um, there was one particular kid, and look, his mum and dad were in jail. Um, his grandparents had been in jail. And this kid was only like... I think when we came across him, 10, 9 or 10. Yeah. But he was doing armed robberies. Like, he was holding up the video easy with a pair of, pair of scissors. And, and, you know, you think, oh, surely not, it can't be... But he did not care. He would he would stab you, he'd punch you, he'd do whatever. Um, just completely off the rails. I remember um, we we arrested him for something, brought him into an interview room like out the front where we were supposed to, and he just kept trying to jump up and fight me. Yeah. To the point where I was like, okay, after he's tried to hit me that many times, I've just got to take him into the cells area because I can't contain him. I can't stop him from leaving either because the door's unlocked into the, into the foyer. Um, I remember we had to transport him into the city and he wasn't allowed to be transported in the back of a police um, paddy wagon. Yeah. So we're sitting, there's three of us driving, one person's driving the police sedan, there's myself on one side, my partner on the other side, him in the middle, yeah. and we're trying to hold his arms and because he wasn't allowed to be handcuffed, and he's like, I'm trying to put my foot on his foot because he's trying to punch, kick and elbow yeah. the whole way into this, and I like, could not believe, and no one had you know, done anything to him from our perspective is in that outside of arresting him like he hadn't been locked up hard or you know done anything that kind of caused that but he was just he was just a bad guy now the funny thing is 10 years later you know his name popped up again for escaping police custody assault police i'd seen like he was still doing armed robberies and stuff he was just a really bad guy and i think 
when you look at what's happening in Queensland and now happening here is getting these kids sometimes out of like displacing them from their friends, yeah. um, moving them out of that gang and being able to give them um, structure and break that cycle for six or 12 months, that could be the best thing we could do for some of those children. Yeah, and that, Not that, all of them, and but that's some the of them. And that's the thing, it needs that. Like, I mean, I, I remember responding to, you know, uh, where teachers had been stabbed by the students, oh. right, in primary school. Yeah. And you're like, what do you, like this is how he starts? Like, mm. how is this going to end? Yeah. Um, so there's some really serious crimes that can happen, and even children on, on, on much younger children. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, and, and that, you know, whether it's sexual assaults, whether it's serious yes. physical assaults, it happens. It does. Um, all, all manner of things. Everything yeah. from, and, and look, everything from murder to arson. I know we did a arson that was um, an arson investigation. It was just a group of kids, and they burnt down a Coles. And they were all well-known troublemakers. Um, and, yeah, like it was more than a million dollars worth of damage um, just in one complex from doing one stupid thing. But I don't. they did not care and they were all from broken homes and bad families. And I think, as you, you know what you say about school teachers, is there's another reason why we need to have this Young Offenders Act working well, um, and that is that the people that serve the community, sooner or later you're going to have people stop putting their hand up. Who wants to be a teacher if you go, hey, I could go to a school where I'm going to be harassed, stood over and assaulted by the students? Who wants to be a police officer when you're like, well, every time I arrest a juvenile, he can punch me, kick me, bite me, spit on me, but he gets no punishment for that. Yeah. Um, same as nurses and ambos and, you know, the whole gambit, even like fax workers who are trying to do the best and then they get abused and you know, uh, juvenile detention officers, much the same thing. You know, at some point in time, normal people don't want to be a part of that anymore. And so then we're actually decreasing the capability of society yeah. to respond. It's very problematic because you'll find the most vocal people are on kind of social media mm. and they just, you know, the armchair critics going, oh, look what you did, you know. And, you know, that's because they haven't seen mm. how vicious some of this yes. behaviour can be, you know, like, it's, especially in, in education, especially the teachers, they're terrified of laying hands Absolutely. to restrain someone because they get all kinds of allegations on them and stuff. And it's not like classrooms have CCTV everywhere. Maybe they yeah. need to, but then yeah. people will say, oh, but then you're invading the privacy and you're seeing children. So like it's, <laughs> it's a not an easy yeah. solution, not something we're going to solve right here. But I think to, you know, because as you said, this question was sort of brought up with one of the listeners. Um, it, it, is, it is something that there's a lot deeper and there's a lot of underlying issues and it's not as simple as just raging the, raising the age that's yes. going to solve it. Yeah. And, and look, I think for many of the proponents who want to say, let's increase the age limit and, you know, the poor little darlings, I'm like, there are many factors that go into this, but get out of your armchair, get on the streets and go deal with these children face-to-face -face when they're behaving the way they are. And we're not talking about little kids. Teenagers are predominantly the issue. Um, see what they're like with the police and the first responders and the people that are trying to help them. Um, and with that full understanding of what may have driven them to that, there still needs to be some protections in place. Yeah, yeah. But good questions. And keep the questions coming. We're happy to, to address, um, you know, uh, quality of questions in, in that calibre. That's absolutely for sure, uh, good for us mm. in, that, in that way. Um, reach out to us by commenting on the socials. Send us an email, our website is privateinvestigatorsydney.com.au.
Thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you.